Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubitt. All right, so we've been, we've been in and out of this series called The Fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, the subtitle of that is the unlikely cure for anxiety. And I, I think this has been such a timely series because we live in a world that is upside down. That I don't have to tell you what's going on in the world. You just have to be paying attention even just a little bit to know that the enemy of your soul is running rampant on the earth today. In every realm, in our jobs, in politics, in our social lives, and even sadly, oftentimes in the church. And it creates fear and anxiety in us. You know, the greatest cure for anxiety is knowing the God that you serve. This is what we've been talking about. That when we know who God is, we fear Him, and when we fear Him, we fear nothing else. I've said this every lesson since we started this series, and I think it may be one of the most profound things God's ever given me. Because when we know God, we fear Him. We have a reverence for Him. We have a love and an understanding of His holiness that we didn't have before. But we have to grow in that knowledge. We have to recognize that there is more to know. And so we've been very intentional. I've been very intentional about talking about who and what God is and what He's given us. That according to Scripture in our first lesson, we talked about how God is greater than any created thing. doesn't matter what comes against you. He's greater than any created thing. He's greater than any idol. He's greater than any authority. Regardless, your God is bigger if you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What I've tried to do is destroy fear through knowledge. Spiritual knowledge. And when we recognize that God is greater than anything created, because He created it, any idol, anything that we would set up above Him, and He's greater than any authority established over us, then it doesn't matter what happens in the created thing in the life of the idol, or in the authority, because God is still in control. God is still sovereign. Amen? We should be the people with, that walk around with peace in our spirit, a smile on our face. Right now, my pastor was talking this morning, he does little videos, and he was talking about the church and how he's talked to several pastors, and it breaks my heart that the pastors, of all people, would think such horrible things that they, he said, I've talked to several pastors, and I'm paraphrasing, that believe the golden age of the church is over. If you ever hear me say anything like that, I need you to drag me off this stage, beat me unconscious, and never let me back up here. Because in adversity, we have the greatest opportunity we've ever had in the history of mankind to declare the gospel message of Jesus. This thing 
this whatever this is, whatever you're dealing with, is your opportunity to shine, put a smile on your face, say, my God is greater than what I'm dealing with, and He can be greater than what you're dealing with too. Let me tell you about Jesus. Amen? This is the blessing that we have in who we are and who we belong to. So He's greater that's the who, but he gave us, what he gave us is his presence, his protection, and his provision, which was the second lesson in this series. Because he is present, he has placed his Holy Spirit in us, because he has offered us his protection that he promises to hold us in his righteous right hand, and it guarantees a provision over us, doesn't mean we're going to have everything we want. It means that he's not going to see his people suffer or beg for bread. Well, what if I lose my job? Your God is bigger than your job. If you think losing your job is more important than the relationship you have with Jesus, then I revert back to telling you that God is greater than any idol in your life. That's good right there. Somebody ought to tweet that. But he gives presence, protection, and provision to those that trust him. And trust that He is greater. Last week we talked about how all of that comes together to bring us peace. That He is omnipresent. We had already talked about how He is present within us. But that He is present around us. That whatever we're going through, He's literally right here. As I draw near to Him, He promises to be near to me. But let me tell you. Even if you don't draw near to Him, He's still near to you because He's omnipresent. He's still there. He still sees you. He still loves you. Doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility to live holy. It just means He's never left you or forsaken you. So if I take the omnipresence of God and a heart of thankfulness and add to that a heart of meditation on the Word of God, then I have peace. This was last week's lesson. So who God is what God is, and all of that to create peace, the fear of the Lord is the unlikely cure for anxiety. I feel like I could just walk away right now. Like, Pastor Jim, it seems like you've exhausted this. We never exhaust this. Because you know what I haven't told you yet? I haven't told you that all of this hinges on one thing. Your fear of the Lord. The church as a whole. For pastors to say what my pastor said he's heard pastors to say. The church as a whole has lost its reverence, its fear, its understanding of who God is. And the church needs to get it back. The church should be a place of reverence. We should come in here with heavy hearts for who we are and lifted hearts for who God made us. This place should be different than our workplace. This place should be different than our homes. This place should be magnificently reverential. And we should be reverential in all of those places too. But we've lost it in the church. And when people come here, they don't see any difference between us and them. And so they don't want what we have. We can do better. We have to have a reverential fear of Him. 
that acknowledges him for who he is and live accordingly. Did you catch that? That's a pretty significant caveat. Because I think everybody in here, the fact that you showed up at 8.30 on Sunday morning declares that you know who God is. But because you showed up here at 8.30 in the morning doesn't mean that you're living accordingly. Today's not going to be a harsh word. It's going to be a very pointed word. Because the church has to be different. We have to acknowledge and recognize how big, how magnificent, how beautiful, how dangerous our God is. And live accordingly. And walk in fear. Many of you guys know my story. I was a runaway when I was a young man. My grandfather drove to Texas with a friend of his and searched the streets of downtown Dallas looking for me. They found me, brought me back home. Before I went in the house, before I was allowed in my grandfather's house, I remember I had a, I had a black trash bag, had some clothes in it. They threw all that away. They said, you're not bringing that in this house. We're just going to buy you some new clothes. Strip down. We lived out in the country. Strip down to your drawers. Shower in this hose. They wouldn't let me in the house with my filthiness and my dirtiness. But let me tell you what they did most significantly. They looked at me and said, if you're going to come in this house, if you're going to be the part of the family that you want to be, that we want to be, you to be, you have to make some promises to us. You have to promise us that you're going to live according to the rules. You have to promise us that you're not going to smoke weed anymore. You have to promise us that you're not going to do this and this and this and all these horrible things that I, I told them. I came clean with them and told them who I was and what I had done. And if you can agree to those things, you're welcome here. If you can do all of those things and reverence, this is my papa, reverence me and your grandmother, have a respect for us, a love for us, a commitment for us, you're welcome here. I laid in the bed for the first night, that first night, and I covered up my head. My grandmother had some quilt that she had had made or made or somebody in her family made and it was one of those old school heavy quilts you know what I'm talking about and it weighed on me and it wasn't cold in there and I can remember I can remember the feeling of peace like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep good tonight I don't have to worry I don't have to worry about What's going to happen to me when I lay down? They provided everything for me. All they expected of me was to reverence them in the time of my stay there. They paid the cost for me to live there and only expected me to reverence them. This is, this is God to us. God has wrapped us, literally, in his love. He has sacrificed for us. 
He has provided everything to us at no expense to us. Almost. The only expense he required of us, that he requires of us, is reverence. The church has to get back to a place of reverence. You're all, Pastor Jim, I don't, I don't feel that wrapped up, blanket, warm, safe feeling like I used to. Get back to your place of reverence. I'm insecure. Get back to your place of reverence. It's cold in here. Get back to your place of reverence. Acknowledge that God is bigger than your situation. God is bigger than your problem. That it doesn't matter. Your God is greater. That's good stuff. That's what, that's what he expects from us. He expects us to fear him. This whole lesson, just about proper fear. And I mean proper fear. What does the fear of the Lord look like? Fear of the Lord looks like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 5 where he saw the presence of God, fell on his face, and uttered three words. Woe is me. Because he recognized how filthy he was. He recognized how dirty he was. How insignificant and insufficient he was to be in front of a holy God. We're the same as Isaiah, but for the blood of Jesus Christ. But we should still find our woe is me moment. Because without Jesus, woe is us. This is what reverential fear looks like. See the glory of the Lord and the train of his robe fill the place. This place, your place, your workplace. And say, woe is me. When you fall short, woe is me. When you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, woe is me. When I live contradictory to the word of God, woe is me. When I fall short of the holiness and righteousness of God, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Because a holy God being present and omnipresent, both in you and around you, knows all things. There are things I would have never done in front of my grandfather. That from time to time, for whatever reason, I feel like it's okay to do in front of God. That doesn't even make sense. And some of y'all are thinking the same thing. Or have done the same thing. You know, man, I'd never do that in front of my granddaddy or my daddy. My daddy'd knock my teeth out of my mouth. Your daddy, your granddaddy, your great-granddaddy, your mama can take your life. Can't take your soul. Woe is me. This is, this is what fear looks like. It looks like Simon Peter in Luke 5, 8, where he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Where he recognized the holiness and the beauty of God, and he fell on his face. When was the last time we, in holy fear of God, fell on our face? It's a rhetorical question, but it's intended for you to take it with you. When was the last time that you were so burdened by your sin 
that you were so overwhelmed with the magnificence of who God is, with your responsibility to obedience, that you fell on your face and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Because you know what God's going to say? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to acknowledge your reverence. I'm going to forgive your sin. Stand up. You're the son and daughter of the Most High King. You know how that happens? Reverence. I don't have enough words. Or perhaps the right words. I've got plenty of words. Perhaps the right words to explain to you the weight of this thing. What fear of the Lord is. How important it is. The benefits of it. Fear of the Lord looks like Paul on the road to Damascus. When he looks up and says, yes, Lord. What? Paul, could you imagine how crushed Paul must have been to realize that everything he thought his whole life to be true was just revealed as untrue and that he had spent his adult life persecuting and killing those that were declaring the truth. I couldn't imagine being Paul, but you know what God did? Because he feared the Lord. God restored him. God says, stand up, boy. Go to a street called Straight. There you'll find a man. All of that happens, has its genesis in the fear of the Lord. It looks like David in 1 Samuel 26, 9, where he wouldn't allow Abishai to stick salt to the ground because he didn't even want to touch God's anointed. We could go on and on and on. The Bible's full of people falling on their face. They're all, man, if I ever saw God, I'd just, I'd just hug him. Y'all ever seen that picture? Of, there's a painting out there of Jesus. It's a beautiful painting, but it's this woman, and she's super excited, and she's hugging Jesus. And it said... The title of the painting is like, First Moment in Heaven. And it's got all these beautiful colors and all that. And I'm all, that's not true. Man, I want to hug Jesus just like the next guy. But you know what I'm going to be doing? The first moment in heaven? I'm going to be on my face. And I, and I tell you that not as a planned event but because I don't think it's possible to be in the presence of the awesomeness of God and stand on your feet. Revelation. You're in the presence of God right now. And we stand on our feet. And we glare at Him and we talk about how much we love Him. We never get on our face and we never declare, truly declare, both with our mouth and with our life, His holiness. We never are the example that we should be to the people that are around us. We've given Christianity lip service because it makes us feel good. Let me tell you, your feel good is going to send you straight to hell. Man, that's hard talk. No, that's true talk. It just happens to also be tough.
Amen. Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. What fear of the Lord doesn't look like. It doesn't look like Ananias and Sapphira. If you're not familiar with this story, let me tell you. In Acts chapter 5, there's this incredible story they tell about a couple. They're a married couple. And their name was Ananias and Sapphira. And at this time, everybody was given to the church. It was, it was I, I hate to say, in vogue to give, to give as much as you could to the church. They just, they were compelled to do it. And Ananias and Sapphira had a, had a piece of property. It's their piece of property. They could do whatever they wanted to with it. They could keep it. They could sell it. They could give 10% to the church. They could give 50% to the church. They give 100% to the church. It's their property. Do what you want with it. But they brought half. And this is what happened. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself and his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter, Simon, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. People are all, man, praise the Lord, we live in the dispensation of grace. You know, God would never do that now. Praise the Lord for the blood of Jesus. This is in the dispensation of grace. Jesus has already gone back to heaven. And he struck him dead. People are all, I want a first century church. Are you sure? I'd love to have a first century church too. I think our church would be smaller because the first time you told me you'd be here and then not show up on a Sunday, God strike you dead. You're not lied to me. You lied to the Holy Spirit. I put up a this is. I put up a picture on Facebook the other day of an old school shed church. No it had no sides. Had some benches. It, it appeared to have some electricity just because there's an electric pole, but I don't know if it does. And I said, "What if God is preparing the church to worship here? Would you come?" And you know, like almost 100 people are all, yeah, man, I'd totally be there. I'd, I'd be there. You won't even come here. Man, we got air conditioning. We bought these fancy chairs. Somehow we have thought it okay to lie to God. You're not lying to me. When you tell me, Pastor Jim, I'm coming to church. I'm going to worship the Lord on Sunday. You're not lying to me. You're lying to God. Which means your reverence ain't right. Now I'm not saying there's not emergency. Stuff comes up. People can't come. People get sick. That's okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about intentionally deciding to 
forsake your word after having given it because you think it makes you look good. Woo! Man, Pastor Jim, I ain't got time for this, man. None of us have time for it, but all of us need to hear it, myself included. You know what else happened? He was carried out of there. Then his wife showed up. She had no idea her husband was dead. Peter asked her the same thing. Is, is this the whole of your property? She's all, yeah. Dead. Says the same feet that carried her husband out, carried her out. This is the God of grace. Are you guys hearing me? God still deserves to be reverenced today. Too many of us have depended and declared the blood of Jesus Christ is our pass to sin. Jesus said, or Paul said, don't sin for the sake of grace. Grace should cause us not to sin. Anytime my wife shows me grace, I love her more and want to please her more. We don't use it as an excuse to sin. I don't do something ugly to my wife and she forgives me and be like, I got away with that. I guess I'm going to do that again. It's foolishness, right? It's the reason why most of y'all are smiling at me when I said it. But we think it's okay to do to God. We got to get our head right. We got to get our heart right. We got to get our spirit right. We got to recognize that God is deserving of our fear, of our reverence. I love the people that say, well, now, you know, when they're talking about fear, they're not talking about real fear. They're talking about reverence. Stand in the presence of God. I think you'll know what real fear is. I'm talking trembling in your boots. And if you don't tremble in your boots at the thought of judgment, you, you haven't thought about judgment. People are, I'm confident I'm going to heaven. Me too. But you know what? There's a place in Matthew where God says, Depart from me, for I knew you not. And they made every excuse in the world why they thought they should be there. And he said, Don't matter. I still don't know you. Even though I, I am very confident I'm going to heaven, that verse freaks me out. And it should freak you out too. At the very least, it should cause you to pursue righteousness. It should cause you to pursue and pay attention to His holiness. It should cause us to walk in Christ's likeness. Am I boring anybody? Because I ain't even got to my teaching yet. <laughs> I just want us to understand that God is so big. You know what holy fear looks like? Holy fear looks like me the day I met Jesus. And I don't say that to stand up here and brag. I got saved in 2006, Cornerstone Church. I can point the chair out to you. I've actually asked my pastor if they ever decide to replace the seat and to let me have that one. I walked in that church couple months before because Angela told me she wouldn't date me unless I went to church with her. And it seemed like a fair trade. But literally, that was the only reason I was there. That was the only reason I was there to the day the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. 
until the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. And my pastor said something, and it probably wouldn't mean much to you guys, but he talked about a guy that was on his, it, it was his jury foreman, who was a police officer. And he talked about that jury foreman's testimony. So I got saved, convicted by the Holy Spirit, during somebody's testimony about someone's testimony. But that dude was a police officer. I thought, I thought, oh, that's interesting. And the Holy Spirit hit me. He said, that's not interesting. It's me, and I can do the same for you. And I want to do the same for you. And I will do the same for you. And I wept. Something inside of me broke. I, I had my Damascus Road experience. I knew that there was a woe was me moment there. That there was a depart from me, God, because I'm a sinner moment there. There was a Damascus Road experience there that I've never recovered from. Why do I tell you that? Because the same thing's available to you. If you'll acknowledge God for who He is and for what He's doing. To fear the Lord is everything. My, my pastor asked me, he said, when he, when he hired me on staff, he said, how come I can't find any record of you getting saved? Because, you know, you fill out the salvation cards or whatever at the altar. And I said, because I got saved in my seat, I never made it to the altar. Because <laughs> it didn't make much sense for me to go. I was broke, Angela will tell you, halfway through the sermon. I'm as broken as I can be. I asked God to forgive me. And then he did an altar call. Angela's all, you going to go up there? I was all, I'm saved already. What do I need to go up there? I ain't trying to prove it to nobody. Well, I don't have any record of you being baptized either. Well, a buddy of mine was telling me about it, and I got baptized in his creek. Oh. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that there's a place that you can get that the desire of God, the desire of God becomes your desire. But that is found in the fear of the Lord. That is found in true fear, reverence, respect, admiration, appreciation, and who God is. There's a text. It's one sentence. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, that reads like this. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. We are to fear the Lord according to this verse for three reasons. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on earth. 
that first reason we fear the Lord because we have access to the Lord fear of the Lord allows us access you know you can't receive anything from God with a haughty heart you know what haughty means arrogant trifling it's one of the things God trifling is a different word but get my inner gangster out every now and then but that arrogant heart you can't receive anything from God from you have to have an intimacy with God to receive from God What's your level of intimacy? Because the degree to which you are intimate with him is the degree to which you will fear him. You know who I don't fear? People I don't know. People tell me, you don't know so-and-so, man. He's bad dude. You're right, I don't know. And he doesn't bother me a bit. But I spend a little time with him, recognize who he is, acknowledge what he's done, and there might become a little bit of fear. But that happens in intimacy, in an understanding of who God is. This is the crux of everything that we've talked about. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You guys have heard this before? I never understood that. The beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How is this possible? In order to know how this is possible, you've got to understand what wisdom is. People consider wisdom knowledge. Wisdom isn't knowledge. Knowledge is part of wisdom, but it's not what wisdom is. Knowledge or wisdom is knowledge, experience, and perspective. That's why young people can't be wise. Because they don't have enough experience, and they don't have enough perspective to know the right decision to make. They can be knowledgeable, But if in order for me to receive the knowledge of God, I have to fear Him. I have to submit myself to Him. I have to lay down in front of Him and acknowledge that I don't know it all. In order to understand and receive His experience, because He has an eternal experience. How many of you guys would like that? The Bible says if you just ask God for wisdom, He'll give it to you. And he will give it to you without reproach. Man, I can't make a good decision to save my life. Because you don't have the fear of the Lord. Because in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom includes experience. And you're not asking God to show you based on his experience how to handle the problem that you're involved in. Man, I wish I knew how to handle such and such. You can. But it starts... In the fear of the Lord. Perspective. God has a transcendent perspective. He's above all things. I have to call people. I have to spend time with people to ask them, do you know where my blind spot is? Do, I, do you see any blind spots in me? And those that love me tell me the truth. You know who has no blind spots? God. And because he has no blind spots, he sees all of yours. 
and can change your whole perspective about your sin. Man, this coronavirus got me messed up. Change your perspective. Coronavirus is tough, but it's created the greatest opportunity on earth for the message of the gospel. That's eternal perspective. But you can't receive any of those things, knowledge, experience, perspective, unless you fear the Lord. I got so many problems. Yeah, you do. I know some of y'all. I got problems too. And y'all are all, we know, we know you. <laughs> but you know what? As I fear the Lord, as I grow in my fear of the Lord, as I ask God for that wisdom, for that knowledge, experience, and perspective, you know what he's been faithful to do? Give it to me. And without reproach. I called a guy the other day. I said, hey, man, you're dealing with such and such. What's going on with you? He goes, how do you know that? I said, God, God sees you, and I ask God to show me stuff. He said, what? Well, it freaked him out. Don't, don't take that lightly. That comes from the fear of the Lord. People are, man, I wish I knew what my kids were up to. Fear of the Lord. Ask him for wisdom. He'll show you. He knows exactly where they are, what they're doing, how they're doing it. And when they're going to stop doing it. My daughter's here today. I'm very excited about it. And Logan, her other half. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because in the fear of the Lord, we begin to understand his grace. We begin to acknowledge and recognize and surrender in fear to the calling that he's given us. How many of you need to surrender to what God's calling you to? Did you know there's grace for that? There's grace for that surrender? You know, one of the greatest pains that I have as a, as a pastor I don't know if I'd call it pain, but one of the, it is pain, is to know that there's a calling on someone's life and know that they don't think that God will see them to it and through it. Fear the Lord, he'll show it to you and then strengthen you for it. Fear the Lord grows our knowledge of his holiness. Absolute perfection is who God is. I don't even know what that means. But I know I ain't there. But you know what it drives me to do? This fear of the Lord, recognizing His holiness, it pushes me towards righteousness and holiness. It makes me want to be more Christ-like. It causes me to open my Bible when it's inconvenient, to pray when I don't want to, to to expose myself to God instead of hide from Him if such a thing is possible. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to pray today because then I'm going to have to tell God about this thing. God already knows the thing. I guess I'm the only one who deals with that. In the fear of the Lord, we grow in knowledge of His power. 
And I feel like I've covered that. If God is all-powerful, and He is, then that means He's more powerful than your problem. The fear of the Lord grows our knowledge of His sovereignty. Take all of these things. When I recognize who God is in fear of who He is, I understand that He's in control. And if there's ever a grandma's house, heavy, warm blanket, peace, it's the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is the pillow that every Christian ought to rest their head on. That his pl- that nothing has the ability to destroy his plan for your life. This is what the Bible says, that you are conquerors overwhelmingly conquer you know what that means that means like conquer overflowing like you got so much conquer in you the vessel that you are can't even hold it all you know what that conquer is God we have to get to a place where we acknowledge who God is And then desire to have access to Him. To submit to Him in fear. The Bible says in James 4, 7, we submit ourselves to God. Do you submit yourself to God? And I'm not talking about some flim-flammy little, yeah, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm talking about submit to God. A turning over of your whole being to the pursuit of a holy God because that's what God expects of us. Is this thing on? All right. Because that's what God expects of us. That's what God desires of us. That's what He deserves to expect of us. Amen? He gave His life on the cross so that we could pursue Him and so many people don't. Number two, why we should fear the Lord? Fear of the Lord remembers judgment. Second half of verse 17 says, The one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Impartial judgment from an impartial God is coming. I need you to hear me say that again impartial you know why God's perfect judge because he's impartial he's judging you based on whether you belong to him or whether you don't belong to him I mean I can I can prove this Romans 2 11 says this for there is no partiality with God which means there's no favoritism with him. Which means, as much as I like to think that I'm God's favorite, I'm probably not. Right? And then in verse 12 through 16, you read this. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. 
For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law of themselves. And so he's saying, you're going to be judged based on your ability to obey the law. What is the law in this dispensation, in this time? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law. You're going to be judged according to whether or not you've declared God as your Lord and Savior. But it continues to, to elaborate. In that, they show the work of the law written in their hearts. This love that we're talking about. Their conscious bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. How God going to judge? Through Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask again, how's God going to judge? Through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. With their thoughts accusing or defending them. Woo! I need y'all to listen to me, man. That is rubber meets the road stuff. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if you haven't, judgment's coming. If you have, eternity with God is coming. Love, eternal peace is coming. Where are you? Where are you? Mm. Pay attention because everyone is based on their individual. Everyone's salvation is based on your individual response to the gospel. I'm going to say this as plainly as I know how. This is the South. And in the South, people say, when you ask, hey man, you a Christian? They go, yeah, my whole family is Baptist. Well, that's not what I asked you. Are you a Christian? Yeah, my granddaddy's Church of Christ. That's not what I asked you. Are you a Christian? Because you're going to be judged on you. Oh, that my children could be judged on me. But they can't. I believe that God, through our prayers, protects our children until they come to the realization of who He is. But my salvation won't save my kids. Won't save my grandkids. Won't save yours either. And won't save you. Your granddaddy's salvation, I mean. You have to make a declaration of that on your own. You have to acknowledge that on your own. You have to recognize that God saves through His Son, Jesus, only. You're going to be judged by two things. Your acceptance of the gospel and your works. And both of these declare to, to the degree in which 
you truly fear the Lord. There's a contradiction. There seems to be a contradiction between Paul's writings and, and James' writings where Paul says you're saved by faith alone or grace alone, by faith alone. But James says without works your faith is dead. Do you know both of those guys are right? Because you have to be saved through the gospel, through faith in the gospel message. You have to make a declaration of lordship. But the fact that you then sit on your rear end, do nothing to personally grow or grow the kingdom, proves that your declaration didn't mean anything. Well, I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 17. Yeah? And that chair you sit in has got your perfect butt imprint in it. Which proves that your declaration probably ain't true. I can't judge that. But I can tell you what the Word says. What's your life look like according to the fruits of the Spirit? Are you increasing every day in your joy? Are you the same person today that you were the day you gave your life to the Lord? That's as simple a question as you can ask. Because if you are, I'd go back to the cross. A real talk, Jim Cubic. I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. Praise God for grace. But let me tell you, there is an expectation of pursuit of perfect. Mm, that's good. God's good. Number three. Fear of the Lord recognizes the time. 17c. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of stay on earth. Fear the Lord because your time is limited. Man, fear the Lord because the people you love, time is limited. The, the most heart, one of the most heartbreaking things in my life and I, I don't talk about this much because it, it jams me up so bad. I wasn't saved then, so I didn't know to tell. But my sister died in a car wreck of a DUI where she was driving, ran off the road and hit a tree. And there was no evidence that she knew Jesus before she died. And I talked to her that day. I passed her in my patrol car. I was like, that looked like Jessica's truck. And I passed her in my patrol car, and I called her. It was back in the day, so I'm all on my cell phone like this. You know, tick, 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 tick. And I said, Jess, where are you going? She said, well, me and a couple of the girls are going to go out. We're going to have a couple of drinks. 
I wasn't saved, but I knew a mother of two young babies didn't need to be out drinking with her friends. So I told her, just go home. You got no business going out getting drunk. You got kids at home. She said, we'll be all right. We're just going to be gone for a couple of hours. The last real conversation I had with her. Well, that's the last conversation I had with her. Our time on earth is limited. I learned a lesson that day that I didn't understand the significance of until I got saved. That life is but a vapor. That the conversation that we're having right now may be the last conversation we ever have. That there's no guarantee of tomorrow. Except that in Christ Jesus, there's a hope of eternity. We're transient. Transient by design. We're not supposed to be putting down roots here. We're passing through. Live your life in such a way that when it's time for you to go, you're ready. And fear the Lord enough to make the fact that you were ready so obvious that other people come with you. Why do I talk about all this? I talk about all this because none of this is possible unless you have a fear of God. Unless you recognize that He has the power, the sovereignty, the control, the ability, the everything that you need is in the hand of God. Rest in that. Because when we fear the Lord, there's a cure for anxiety. But I couldn't end this sermon series without talking to you about fearing the Lord. I could tell you all the good stuff. Man, that I got more praise for last week's sermon. Man, that really brought me a lot of peace. That was one of the best sermons you ever preached. And I pray this sermon didn't bring you peace at all. I pray this sermon disturbed you enough to get on your face and say, woe is me. Because until we do that, none of the rest of it's available. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, we thank you that you love us. God, I don't even know where to start except to tell you thank you so much for who you are. God, we recognize your significance, the fact that you are almighty, that you are all-knowing, that you are available to us. God, that you are powerful enough to strike us dead, but loving enough to hold us and keep us. God, that you have placed your spirit in us to both give us peace and power. God, that you walk with us so that no matter what's going on around us, we can have confidence to know that you are bigger. My prayer today, God, is that you fill our hearts, fill our mouths with a fear of who you are. Let us witness to the people around us
your greatness, your magnificence. God, both through our words and our actions. But God, can I, can I pray that you provoke us to action more than you provoke us to talk? Let us show those around us who you are. Let us be examples of your holiness, your righteousness, your love, your consideration, your provision. Let us be all of these things, God, and give us the fear of who you are so that we can do it and pay attention, so that we don't just wander around in our life not, not focused. God, we have an eternal purpose, and that eternal purpose began the day you gave us your son Jesus. Let us fulfill that purpose both in fear and in love. I thank you, God, that your word is true. I thank you for heart change. I thank you for life change. And I ask, Heavenly Father, a blessing over every person in this room, a conviction over every person in this room, that we be changed by your word, not entertained by it. We thank you for who you are and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.